Welcome to the Truth Lover, a podcast, a video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader and founder of Love and Truth Party. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing and happiness, liberating humanity from the matrix of fear and self-loathing. Find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, whilst simultaneously being moved to act, to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks, including the seven questions and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. I'm really delighted today to be joined by a dear friend and extraordinary human being, Carol Griggs. Carol Griggs, PhD, is an author, speaker, and leader in the areas of professional coaching, human potential, and consciousness evolution. She is co-founder of iConscious Global and the iConscious Human Development Model and Assessment, an integrative meta-framework developed to accelerate the process of maximizing full human potential. Dr. Griggs is a professor and course developer for John F. Kennedy's master's program in consciousness and transformative studies, and is the author of Space to See Reality, a new model for professional coaches, and very recently also author of iConscious, Accelerating Human Potential, co-authored with uh, uh, business partner Ted. She's currently coaching leaders at Google, Google X, Wing, Waymo, and other Silicon Valley tech companies. Carol holds a PhD in professional coaching and human development, and Carol's mission is to help streamline and accelerate conscious human development for the evolution of humanity's full potential through educational platforms and technology tools. Her vision is to help create a world in which awakening in all, domain, in all domains is the new normal. Wow, what a, what a bio. Welcome, Carol. It's a <laughs> privilege to have you here. Thank you. It's good to see you as always, Will. Yeah, a real pleasure. I'm glad I had the opportunity just to read out that bio prior to jumping on the recording. There's a lot of long words in there, and I felt that a <laughs> rehearsal was advantageous. We had a little bit of a talk about what we might want to explore. Um, and we talked about consciousness, the evolution of consciousness. And then I suggested that we, we, we sort of pin that down a little bit to what do we say, non-duality, psychology, and relationships. Mm -hmm. Something that's been really alive for me, and it feels like it's like a distilled day-to-day um, -day aspect of the evolution of, of, of consciousness as well. So maybe to begin that, can you speak a little bit to what the evolution of consciousness is? I, I imagine most of our viewers and listeners would have some sense, oh, yeah, I, I get that, but it's a pretty big concept and I'd love to hear what that means for you, the evolution of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in 
basic terms and we can expand and pick apart and add on. Um, we are actually able to measure stages of consciousness, how expanded one's consciousness is or capacity um, individually and collectively. So in my work, when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, I'm noticing what stage of development they're really operating from and how to help consciousness evolve individually and then also in groups. So whether they're working with a team at work um, or they're the CEO of a company, which I work with several of, um, and how that affects then their team and then their teams and their teams and their teams. And so um, you can really tell what stage of consciousness a company is operating from as well as the individuals themselves. And so one of my, um, one of the things I love to do is to help people expand their level of awareness, their level of consciousness, um, and how they see self, other, which is why I love bringing in relationship and world. That's beautiful. And I, and I guess that that's probably revelatory for many people that there's this measurable aspect because the evolution of consciousness, it sounds so big in, in, in time and in everything. I mean, it, it, it is everything. Mm -hmm. well, I, I would certainly, I would say it is everything. And yet there's a measurable quality both individually. Yes. And I think that's probably more accessible for people because we get, well maybe, well, maybe you can speak more about, because you, you've brought a really distinct form of measurement and assessment mm. in a conscious process. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about how, you've developed that measurement tool what it what it is and then perhaps speak to the collective measurement aspect as well mm -hmm. sure so um we my colleague ted strauss and i that developed the iConscious, just the company and the iConscious assessment the iConscious coach leader program um, and the iConscious book is all about really the evolution of consciousness, but it's also about the evolution of one's development in all five domains. So one is consciousness, one is uniqueness, your individual unique gifts and talents and ways of showing up in the world as consciousness expresses itself um, as one of the many facets of the diamond, if you will. Um, heart, and emotional intelligence and emotional capacity. And as that expands and grows and evolves, and what does that look like? Mind, which the way we define mind is probably pretty different than a lot of people do. But what we're pointing at with mind is our relationship to thought and thinking and belief structures and how that evolves and changes um, and develops over time. So cognitive, well cognitive capacity or cognitive intelligence, would that be? Cognitive capacities. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not IQ. It's nothing mm -hmm. to do with really, you know, your capacity there. I mean, I work with a lot of people, Google and Apple and everything. And extremely intelligent people in one in one realm when it comes to their mind is just brilliant and they are identified with their mind so that's more of what we're speaking to is what is the relationship with the mind how much they identify as the mind um, is where we can measure and see where people's kind of degree of freedom with mind is um, and then body embodiment is the last one so when we talk about the evolution of consciousness, we can talk about it as its own thing, and then we can talk about it also as part of all the domains. And um, one of the courses that Ted and I teach or have taught in the past is the evolution of consciousness and human development at John F. Kennedy. And uh, it's very much the evolution of consciousness is over here and human development is over here. Those are kind of two schools. 
And so one of the things that we were really adamant about was bringing those two schools together and saying they're, you know, we need to look at all of them. It's not just one or, you know, what happens when, you know, the human development aspects are developed and consciousness is not tended to, or when consciousness is tended to, and I'm up on a mountaintop for 30 years and I ignore all other aspects of my being, what happens to that human being as they engage in the world or as you know as the title of this whole talk is um, non-duality psychology and relationship Um, because a lot of the work I do um, is individually uh, consciousness and human development and in relationship how do you lead people how do you lead yourself how do you lead others how do you lead a company Um, and how does my stage of consciousness affect everything I do and every decision that's being made so um, we can we can look at it from many angles, if you will, in terms of um, development as a whole being. That's why we call it whole being awakening. It's not just consciousness awakening, it's whole being awakening. Um, Because we can start to see issues when there are discrepancies in development, when we assess people and where they are and what they've tended to. Because, you know, people tend to lean into and, and develop further the things that they're strong at. And they tend to uh, not notice or not pay attention to or not value the parts of them that are underdeveloped, which causes an even further gap and then other issues and how they show up in the world. So part of what we do is help people to acknowledge the parts of them that are a little less developed and start to lean into that so that they can start to integrate a little bit better and feel more whole in how they you know, show up in the world. Is that similar to shadow work? It sounds like those areas where I'm underdeveloped would be my shadow would be parts of me that I haven't given attention to and I'm not so aware of. So like an assessment tool would help me become aware of where I might want to be giving more focus and attention. Yeah. Now a little bit different, great question, a little bit different. Um, I mean, a shadow could be like a, um, you know, I'm not good enough or some, some part of ego, you know, or some part of um, an insecurity or, yeah, really an ego that's running something that we can't see. Um, We're talking more of like the five domains in terms of some people don't tend to emotional intelligence at all. So it's not just a piece of us, like a story of us or a part of like a part of us, like I'm not enough or I am enough or success or failure in those polarities as much as it is, you know, all of emotional intelligence can be ignored, especially in Silicon Valley in the tech world. Um, where you have people that really value the mind and the mind is why they're being hired. Um, and now people are realizing that they're hitting a glass ceiling in their career uh, because they don't know how to relate to people. Emotional intelligence isn't online. The degree of emotions that are allowed to be here and the spectrum that is available to them without them shutting down um, or getting triggered is, is pretty narrow. So I think, um, yeah, it is a part of us, but it's, it's like the, um, I don't know that I would call that as necessarily part psychology as much as um, other specific things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's an aspect that came forth from your description of this course and the marrying or the integrating of mm. uh, human development and the evolution of consciousness that, mm-hmm. that feels really juicy and exciting from a perspective of meaning. Like in a, in a world where we're, we're searching for meaning, where many experience no meaning, I think in the non-duality space, there is um, a tendency towards a nihilism or, or a nothingness without Absolutely. distinction as to what that really means. And I'm intrigued by this 
the power and the profundity of the meaning of my human development mm. and the evolution of consciousness being symbiotic, being two, um, being, being one and the same in many respects. So yeah. as I evolve, I'm contributing to human consciousness evolving in some way. Is that, is that a, is that a fair uh, characterization in your view? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've noticed that the people that have, um, you know, and you can, if you're tuned to it, you can feel it in them where um, consciousness is very awake. Uh, it's, it's when, when awakening has uh, shown itself and woken up to itself as itself in you, then you, it's pretty easy to recognize it in another being. Hmm. And so consciousness can be very awake in somebody and yet emotionally just not able to actually handle much without getting triggered, shutting down or inability to sit present and fully open with all the emotions that arise. Um, it can be just very uh, kind of a heady almost awakening rather than a full body awakening. So uh, Ted and I kind of coined the term conscious human development because we didn't really want the sense even of division of human development and evolution of consciousness like the East and the West. Um, whereas it really is conscious human development and how it all comes together and affects each other, if you will. Um, you know, you can have a beautiful, huge consciousness awakening, but if there are other domains of your being that aren't awakened and evolving, it, it will affect everything you do actually. And what immediately springs to mind for me, and I suspect for many listening or watching, I came off a conversation that's a fairly regular conversation these days as a, a new guru or spiritual leader being exposed for some um, you know, really significant ethical issue, um, mm -hmm. usually around sex or power or money. And it feels like this might be one of the obvious negative effects when someone has perhaps had a very powerful mandural realization, a very powerful state shift or stage shift, and yet they're less developed when it comes to their sexuality or their emotionality or their father, mother issues, what, what, um, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. That it's why, uh, Ted and I call like the lack of integration where you can feel, and I keep kind of doing this, our assessment you can is, is top down like that. And so as consciousness evolves, if other parts of one's being is not evolved, integration issues typically causes integrity issues. Uh, because it's there isn't an alignment with one's whole being. There are gaps, and actually, as a as a teacher, it's it can just be so detrimental to students because there is this awakening that's it can be so clear uh, that um, the student can take the teacher like uh, baby with the bathwater kind of a thing. It's like as as everything they say and do is is completely aligned and whole and right and free, and they know more and know better because they can see more they're more aware or whatever um whereas it's really not that it's not that true um but for students it can be hard to tease out um those things when um when there is such a big awakening in the teacher and like you said you know power money sex those are the kinds of things that start to come up with integration issues so in a utopian future uh, everyone will take this clear self-assessment results <laughs> results will be publicly shared so there you go right so we can go to a teacher and go hey look i'm, I'm here for your 
non-dual clarity, um, but I'm aware of your emotional issues as well. Or yeah, so in, I'm, I'm being flippant, but I think there's actually a power in this, right? Both I actually think there is too. People that are in a leadership role or a teacher role and for students to be more, to be more aware, to be. Absolutely. And you know, different teachers provide different things. You know, some teachers really have had a very clear awakening and there is no me and, you know, there's a whole, it, it's more advaita Vedanta, you know, that there is no me and it's very clear in that way. But when it comes to the human side of that person, there's often a disregard for emotion per se or for the body. Um, and so for the student to be really aware of where this teacher's level of development is, because oftentimes when somebody's had an awakening, they think that's it. Mm. <laughs> I made it. I'm there. Um, and they preach that. Uh, and it, it can cause some misunderstandings along the way. It, it feels like there's something really important there because enlightenment or, or, or uh, realization or non-dual realization often is perceived to be the, 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 the pinnacle, the ultimate, the only mm. thing. And therefore, we, we seek in order to have this experience or have this shift or have this alteration in our consciousness occur. And what I'm feeling is that it's really not actually all, all that. It's really not that there's, there's so much more, both in the sense of different domains and also of beyond that initial realization, including the embodiment of that. And the psychological integration of that into a, which, and that's that, like, how does that actually work? Because how does going entirely beyond a psychology get integrated into the psychology? Is that, is, is that a valid question? Or? It's a total valid question. I love it. You know, and I, I think there is this kind of awakening to uh, this non, this non-dual awakening that can, that can arise and really even substantiate uh, while the psychology is still trying to get caught up and integrated, uh, because it all has to be integrated. It all is one and it all, it all needs to be integrated. Um, and in the iConscious model, we actually have 15 stages of development to give you perspective. Stage seven is, uh, awakening. So it's an initial awakening that actually doesn't quite substantiate it's kind of an awakening that's like one of those moments of realization really that um uh that a sense of self is is shifts completely um and it's still in the what we call the dual phase so it's still it's still a dualistic experience because in stage eight it's that oscillation between god at loss it god at loss it i am this allness nothingness uh, spaciousness. Um, and then you're kind of back to this limited sense of self and, um, all the thinking mind and all of that. And then in stage nine, it's really, it's, it's a unity. It, it's like the conscious, the conscious awakening really lands in the system in a way that isn't oscillating anymore. Um, but the interesting thing is what we notice is whatever psychological patterns that have not yet been integrated or any shadows that are not yet in the level of awareness will even come up after awakening. So it's either going to be before or after there's pros and cons to both, or a lot of people, they did a lot of work, a lot of psychological work prior to awakening, which will 
make the integration maybe a little smoother afterwards because they've done a lot of the work. However, once somebody has had an awakening, there is much more space <laughs> to hold some of the difficult patterns, psychological patterns to arise and be integrated because of the sense of self is just expanded tremendously that there's room for it, um, which does make it easier in a sense as well. So after the unification, there is what we call a stage of transformation where any, any patterns, it's what I call like a flashlight coming down through the body and any stuck dualities or stuck contractions where the system even closes in the tiniest bits like shining the light of awareness on those spots to open them up to its vast open spaciousness and so those all need to come up to the light of awareness to be integrated um, and loosened and so it's it's an ongoing process for a lot of people and there does come a point though i've noticed with myself and other people where you know, a good bit of the psychological has been integrated and there is a real substantial settling in the system, which is the same space in the system is outside the, you know, the system. And uh, there's just not the density in the body. The body is very empty and yet full. A lot of times we get stuck in the empty. So it's, it's empty, but it is incredibly full mm. of vitality and, and, uh, you know, sometimes people think that this emptiness is is hollow or dead, uh, but it's not. It's the most alive emptiness and full emptiness. I love calling it like the the fullness of emptiness um, is is typically the experience. It, it feels like the, and I can certainly say in my own experience that where I discover where I'm still carrying some solidity in the body or where I discover there is still a psychological patterning at play is in relationship. It's when I'm in communication with others, whether in a um, professional role as facilitator or, or, or leading a group. But for me, I think that, that that's, that's a learning experience, but more so when I'm in intimate relationships, when I'm exploring romance and love with another, that seems to be, um, where I learn more about myself. Um, I think every human being on this planet would likely agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that I'm not alone in that. No, you're not alone in that. And it makes, makes perfect sense. And there's, there's, a, there's a beautiful work that I've been playing with and contemplating with, which is the key word they focus on called the, the gene keys. Mm. And in this, they speak about the path of relationships as having the potential to be you know equal to the the, the path of meditation or the path mm. of devotion or you know, that it is in itself potentially uh, such an uh, uh, such a facilitator such a mm. rich laboratory for for human development and the evolution of consciousness um, and yet it feels that in a lot of the non-dual world that you and I have um, you know, tra traversed both through our uh, development, but also in our cultural expressions and, and communities and so on. It feels as often a, a, a devaluing of that or, 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 or a, a devaluing of anything that would have any sort of semblance of, of, of personal. Uh, yeah. And of course, in a relationship, th th there is nothing more personal than <laughs> this two people coming, coming together. Uh -huh. How, how, 
it's a question arises from that or an inquiry what how important is it that two individuals relating are at a comparative stage of development mm. you know is it possible for people at seven and ten to actually have a, a solid authentic partnership or will one rise or will one fall i mean how, what, what are your what's your sense as to how the rubber really hits the road there in in human relating and relationships that's a great question um i think i recall ken wilbur you know from integral theory ken wilbur mentioning that at um, one stage difference is is doable maybe a little bit of a rub but two stages apart can be challenging and beyond that is very difficult. I'm not sure I agree with that or not. I will say one of the patterns I've noticed is the lower you are in development, the more obvious the gap. Kind of like when you're 16 years old and you're dating a 19 year old, that's like a huge gap. But when you're 40 and you're dating a 43 year old, it's like it's you barely notice it. That's been my experience when the, the more evolved you are, if somebody's had an awakening and they're working on embodiment stuff and they're, they're just in that realm and somebody is a few steps ahead, I, I don't find that that's as big of a deal. Um, so long as there's an openness and a curiosity and a, um, and a, an awareness of awareness and I, I don't find that gap to be as big of a rub. Earlier stages, yes, because you really value very different things and one's identity is uh wrapped up much more tightly in in different things and can cause a lot of the the scuffles and and also the inability to communicate about it and talk about it openly and be mature enough to have a conversation and stay present without you know getting scared and leaving i mean there's a lot that you can it can get messy in the earlier stages um but it is interesting with relationship and how it's, it really is where the rubber hits the road. I mean, it's, it's whatever shadows that you have or I have. If I'm just sitting here in my office and meditating, I may have something float by that's a little uncomfortable that I can look at. Uh, but for the most part, nobody's, it's not in my face. But when you're relating intimately with somebody and you love them dearly and you're very vulnerable and open and sharing raw material, um, and somebody shows you a shadow, uh, intentionally or not, um, it can be challenging. It can be very challenging. Um, so you're, it's the dance, that dance can be uh, much more rich and much more threatening, um, than when you're just by yourself or you don't have somebody that's intimately close to you. Yeah. Right. So it becomes an essential means by which we see things about ourselves that maybe we just haven't seen or been conscious of. I mean, you, you spoke to uh, a typical shadow of, you know, I'm not enough or I'm a, a failure. And that's certainly one that's been alive for me. And in fact, I recall an experience with someone where I was beginning to explore an intimacy and this came out really strong for me. And it was like, mm. wow, the um, unskillfulness of it in the relating was really noticeable. Mm. And in terms of, allowing me to become aware of that aspect of psychology still in operation still still felt to be true mm -hmm. um was was really um not disturbing unsettling in the moment but ultimately helpful uh mm -hmm. in, um, in 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 seeing that aspect of myself mm -hmm. and seeing that that was that was 
somewhere still held in the psychology and in, and in the body. Mm. When I, I don't remember if it was Rumi or who said, you know, we're all here to take each other home. Mm. Well, there's the Ram Das quote that's Maybe been it was Ram Das. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. We're all just walking each that's other. That's it. Home. That's yeah. it. That's exactly it. And I think I've heard even Eckhart Tolle say something along the lines of, you know, we're not, relationships aren't here to make each other happy. Mm. We're here to help each other become more conscious. Mm -hmm. And if we can look at relationship from that perspective, it's a lot more freeing because then we're not expecting this like bliss bunny all the time. It's more really like, let's wake up and grow up and evolve together and how juicy and, and, and like enriched and enlivening that can be to really love each other while we're waking up all different parts that are uncomfortable that we haven't been able to see on our own or in previous partnerships. Right. And, and that perspective on relationships feels like, so we were talking about where there's a match and, and to what extent, if there's not a match developmentally, that can still be managed and can still support a, a, a fruitful, enjoyable partnership. It feels like the perspective that the fundamental function of relationship is to evolve and grow in consciousness that i suspect is a is a is a belief or a view that is held at a certain stage that yeah. if 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 it's absent like if if i'm coming into a relationship thinking this is all about um financial security and 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 social status and my emotional needs being met and my partner's coming in thinking this is about expansion and consciousness and and the the, the only real reason for this is the increasing of awareness and the development of all these different domains. That's two very, very different agendas and, and perspectives and ideas of what this thing that we call relationship actually is in, in, in a mm -hmm. fundamental sense. So well, and then you're coming to the table, if that were you, you're coming to the table with wanting to evolve, wanting to talk about things, wanting to share your insecurities, wanting to talk about what you're noticing, wanting to meditate with your partner, wanting to you know share these things with them and actually name things that are hard to say and hope that they can stand in presence and hear it and then respond and both parties stay alive and present. And if you're really wanting that and all they really want is just to keep peace and for things to look good on the outside and for financial security, neither party is actually going to get their needs met. It's not going to be a lasting partnership when agendas are that dramatically different. Yeah, that, feel, that feels sort of inescapable. So there's got to be a certain a certain degree of coherence around why we are relating. Yes, it's for the pleasure and the happiness, but something more fundamental, more primary than that is what brings us together. That's always been my sense as to why a relationship would happen is mm. that it's facilitating the mutual growth in a profound way of each individual. Mm -hmm. And so long as that's happening, in, in, in my view, the relationship is a good functional healthy relationship um and i guess the, the 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 real gift is when you discover a relationship where that's mutually facilitated ongoing mm. where, there's, where there's a sustainable uh, over, over over many years potential for that mm -hmm. um and I, I i guess starting with that intentionality that the reason we are coming together, the reason we are exploring intimacy and partnership is for that to be the case mm. would help increase the likelihood of that evolution and development being ongoing and being sustained.
Yeah, I would think so. And especially when something arises that's uncomfortable, somebody gets triggered, you know, for the other one to lean in and actually enjoy it, actually look for it, look to support them. And the other one to be willing to stay present to the trigger and be, um, be there and work through it together, that both would see that as opportunity, not as a problem in the relationship. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces is do both parties see it as a problem Hey, you're getting in the way of my financial security. You're getting in the way on how this looks on the outside. Or, hey, you're getting in the way of my peace. You know, I, I like things just easy on the surface. Whereas if the other person, you know, if, if they're actually both parties are seeing it as opportunity to lean in and both of them to grow and evolve and to learn, explore and to discover, what an incredible relationship space to, to be in, you know, but to not, if one wants it and one doesn't, that's going to be a, a challenge in terms of growth and evolution for both parties. Yeah. What's, what's coming up as you speak to that is, is how ill-equipped our uh, dating software and technology yeah. and so on generally is to facilitate these distinctions. Um, you know, it's very much down to the individual, I think, to sort of discern, to read between the lines of, of what's on someone's profile or whatever to really get, clear as to whether there's a likelihood or a possibility yeah. that there'd be a shared yeah. desire for that sort of growth. Now, I think you, you nailed it when you said, you know, if it's a certain stage of development, that's likely going to come online for somebody that will be interested in desiring that kind of partnership. And it's, in my experience, that's very true. And uh, Ted, my colleague and I have been sort of joking, sort of maybe not joking about using the eye conscious assessment in dating. And what would happen if you each took a, you know, you answer a bunch of questions on eHarmony or any of the other ones about, you know, whether you like to play soccer or go for a run and try to match you up based on, you know, some of those things. So why not match you up on your stage of consciousness, your level of EQ and those sorts of things that will, will actually in the end show the kind of person that would be interested in evolving together because there is a stage of development where it really uh, becomes non-negotiable that that is the foundation of the kind of partnership they're going to be looking for. Well, in the interests of serving the evolution of consciousness, I'd be happy to volunteer as if, if you had 20 beautiful friends in California of a level of consciousness evolution, um, female, but personally, that'd be my preference. I'd happily be the, the guy guinea pig in that just, just to, oh put that out there okay. yeah um, <laughs> it's, it's a, sweet of you to offer your it's the kind services. of nobility that's here yeah. okay yeah okay. i think there would actually be massive potential in something more evolved than what i'm at least what i'm aware of is currently out there with uh, those sorts of dating yeah and i mean i can absolutely see the fruitfulness of that because, you know, even, even when we run this assessment in corporations and we see the leadership team maybe of 10 people and two of them are, say, in stage four, the majority of them, maybe eight of them are in stage five and maybe one or two are in stage six. And the challenges of bringing the team together to cohesively work as, a, as one is difficult because of the gap in development. So I can only imagine exponentially when you put somebody in a romantic partnership, how that's going to be um, for those people to co-live co together and maybe have children together and all that, you know, what, what kinds of challenges may arise. So, 
with those stage numbers can you can you put a little bit of meat on the bones there as to so that sounds sure. like a, a fairly real example like what are we talking about with stage eight stage five and so on so stage four is um well stage three is conforming so if you think about um one example i like to use is like a a 15 year old girl you know who has her girlfriends and she's aware of herself and she's aware of her girlfriends and her her tribe you know if you will um but then there's everybody else's other you're you're out so her level of awareness is beyond self so in stage two it's really about myself i can really only see about myself it's self-consuming self self-centric is what we call it so stage two is conforming so then we're able to look we, we not only can see ourselves we can see our group that we're calling us as part of our you know identity um stage four goes into rational striving so stage four is really much more individual autonomy um, it's less about the group and more the individual and the individual accomplishments so it's it's um if you look at corporate america uh, the typical, and maybe actually 10 years ago, corporate America, the typical is, is a stage four. And it's all about striving every man for himself, trying to achieve, trying to be successful. And that's really their value. That's their identity. That's more important to them than anything else. Um, and that evolves into stage five, which goes back more into group harmony, but in a more expansive way. So people are now more interested in the planet, in the, into animals, into um, the, the health of the world and other countries and more oneness, harmony equality um i see you know you get a group of five stage five equality harmony people in a room in a in a business setting because i work a lot in businesses uh, they have a very difficult time making decisions because everybody has a voice everybody has a vote and they really have a difficult time coming to consensus and then having one person really call the shot um, and then stage six is what we call inclusive so it's very integral and stage six is the first time people actually have the capacity to see value in stage five, four, three, and two, because they've, they see that quality in themselves and they've integrated it in a healthy way. And it doesn't, they also see that one stage is not necessarily better or worse. Whereas like somebody in stage four, they don't really like people in stage five mm. and they don't really like people in stage three. And same with people in stage five, people in stage five really don't like people in stage four and they're not that interested in people in stage six. So once you're in six, there's an inclusivity where you're actually able to appreciate really all stages of development and that they all have their place and time and they're all just right exactly as they are. And I can find all of them in me and it's more, it's just an integration of all of it. It's also a stage where we're able to integrate more emotion more bandwidth of emotion, more bandwidth of, of beliefs and more perspectives allowed to allowed in the room. I think we've all been in meetings or even with just friends and one person has a perspective and if you don't agree with it, like it's not gonna go very well. Uh, so stage six can really be a part of a conversation and hear 10 different perspectives and they find that fascinating. They wanna find more perspectives and integrate them all feel them all and then figure out what direction they want to go. It doesn't, it doesn't create a threat because there's enough room and space for all of it to be here. So every stage of development is an expansion, an expansion of consciousness, an expansion of emotional capacity, an expansion of cognitive capacities. Um, uh, so if you've got one person in stage three and another in six, 
yeah, the person in six is going to have a much larger capacity than somebody in three, which will feel a lot more limiting and small and tight. And um, it's just more challenging. A question that arises in that you mentioned the sort of uh, group of people in stage five and there's, there's great awareness, but there's also you know, awareness of the validity of everyone else's views and maybe decisions aren't being made. I'm, what come, what's coming to mind is um, uh, how an organizational, how an organization will be successful with a reduction often in, in hierarchy and to what extent some hierarchy is necessary. Mm. And um, the, the, the book that comes to mind is Reinventing Organizations yeah. by Lelou, where it's like just really wow examples of what yes. that actually looks like. And to make this question perhaps a little bit long, I'm, I'm interested also in uh, this, this love and truth party collective community that my friends and I have been exploring. There's been this desire for it to be self-organizing and self-replicating. So we're looking yeah. to be very light upon any sort of structure or, or mm -hmm. um, means by which we would be telling anyone else, this is how it's done. Mm -hmm. Yet in order for someone else to do it, often there's a need for them to be told how it's done. So, mm -hmm. and there's a need for someone to be driving and leading. Mm -hmm. Yet there's a desire amongst the individuals that there not be too much of a strong hierarchy or certainly no guru figure or, or, or right. a CEO who's taking all the, pulling all the shots. So I'm not sure if there's a question in there, but like, what does that actually yeah. look like in the organization yeah. that you're working with? Yeah, great question. And I think it's a real common question for somebody who's at least in stage six, which is integral, integrative, um, uh, inclusive. Um, now, stage four is a lot the autonomy, and it's a lot of top-down. So it's the old-school corporate America, which is very, very structured and top-down in terms of authority and power and how things are done and, and whatnot. And that is still a very uh, prominent structure in, in the world um, because a lot of countries operate at a stage four. And you can see it. It's just really obvious. When you understand stages of development, you can go to different countries and different companies, and you walk in, and within 10 minutes, you know what stage the company is operating from. Stage five is more, you're right, it's a flattening of hierarchy. There's, a, there's kind of a, a, a dislike for hierarchical structures. And so there's a flattening that can happen, like holacracy is more of a flattening, um, less managerial stages and steps within the system. And then a six is exactly what you're trying to describe, which reinventing organizations gets into, which is what is the integration of autonomy and group harmony um, and, and hierarchy, no hierarchy. You know, it's the, it's the classic polarities coming together, you know, all the polarities coming together and how do you integrate those in a healthy way where it's functional mm. and, um, and it's not dog eat dog and top down, but it's also not with no leadership and nobody stepping forward. And, and so it is that combination. Um, and so there are structures that can be put in place with that. And you have to have leaders that are at least operating at a stage six in order to run a stage six company, period. You cannot have somebody in five running a st and, and hope that you're going to have an integrative, um, the structure won't mirror that and nor will the people or the operations. I mean, it all has to be created from that stage of consciousness in order for it to be 
um, manifesting from that stage of consciousness. In, in your observations and in, in the research, is it sufficient that there only be a leader at the stage six or, or higher? I mean, is it possible that you, because in that reinventing organizations, but there are some really huge companies. I think one of them's got 40,000 employees from recollection. Yep. So it's, yep. it's, this is very much happening on scale. And I'm wondering either with that specific example or with ones you're more familiar with, perhaps, like, is it possible that an individual raise the level of, or, or create it? I mean, if we're going to categorize an organization or a country, like let's, okay, let's, let, let's, let's really tighten this down. Let's say someone comes into the presidency of the United States at a level of six or above, like. Amazing. Right. What might we expect to see culturally, collectively, or if you prefer, take it down to a smaller, you know, corporation? Because a, con a country is a, a, a pretty huge thing, to say the least. Yeah, um, I don't know the research on it, the data specifically. Um, I know that Ken Wilber, um, the American philosopher, has named ten percent as the tipping point for a culture to shift into that higher stage that that the that is all that's needed i don't know if that's true or not it it feels like in my experience in working with companies it feels like that would be enough um where like at the state of california or you know uh, google or whatever if 10 percent of the population particularly at the top that are making decisions and creating the structures are operating at a stage six they could really shift the whole company to operate as a stage six company um, and I, I would agree with that. I would really agree with that. There really aren't that many companies that are operating fully from a stage six. I mean, I think in reinventing organizations, they use what, four or five, six examples of companies. And that was maybe, I don't know, that book was written quite a, quite a bit ago, maybe eight years ago or something. Um, and so I'm sure there are a handful more. I've seen a couple, but for the most part, um, you'll see pockets, you know, Google is just a huge company. So to use them as an example, they have pockets within the company that are operating at a six. They're primarily a five company. Um, they're primarily a, a equality harmony company that does have some four still in them and does have some six in them. Um, whereas like an Amazon, for example, is really a stage four. It's really like, it, it's, that's just the way it operates. Um, so, but within Google, and I don't work for Amazon, so I don't know, but within Google, you'll have departments that are operating at a six and maybe finance is operating at a four or, I mean, Google is so big. And so you can have teams, individual teams operating at a different stage, but then they have a difficult time when they have to cross function with another, with like the sales because they're, or product um, and they're operating at a four and these guys are operating at a six. It can be difficult for them to really cohesively come up with a plan and functionally work well together. Um, so that's primarily what I've seen in some of the bigger companies, smaller companies. Like, um, I think they in re reinventing organizations, it was sounds true, Morningstar, a few others, but in those are smaller companies. And so I think a 10% tipping point is probably an easier, um, mm. thing than like a Google. Um, but Google is operating from primarily a five, which is, which is great considering, um, the, the percent of the population, I think it's like 15, 20% of the population in the world is operating at a five. Most people, most, most um, people in the world are operating at a three or even a two. 
to give you perspective in terms of worldwide where human where humanity is. So people operating at a six is like I think the last I saw was like ten percent, eight percent, and then a, a stage seven was like 0.01 percent or something like that. And those numbers are old, and I don't even know if they've been verified. So a little side note on that. Sure, it it feels hopeful that even just to play with the notion that a smaller portion, a non-majorative portion of an organization or a population of a community or a country shifting significantly in their state and stage of development can be expected to have impact and effects um, from, from a non-coercive, in a, in a non-coercive means to other people at, at lower stages of, of development. Um, so what I mean by that is it's very easy to look at, you know, go to a shopping mall or, or turn on cable TV or, and, and despair as to where humanity is, mm. is heading. Mm. And, and yet we know that an individual in a family, and I think this is maybe easier for us to, to, to identify with or observe, an individual in a family or in a community group who's really operating from an extraordinary level of consciousness can have a, an effect upon that field, upon that group that's, that's powerfully transformative. And my interest, and this is part of the, the, the experiment with Love and Truth Party and the exploration is like, what, what is the means by which that transformation occurs? So there's, there's the obvious mechanistic stuff, right? So let's say someone becomes president or, or CEO and they're, they're at a stage six and they, they decide to bring in more egalitarian decision-making processes or so they change the structure in, in this mm -hmm. way or they change the education at a primary school level of, of, of children. So there's that mechanistic surface stuff that's observable and measurable. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued also, like each of us is an energy system. Each individual is an energy system. And when I shift from a strong self-identification to a more heart-centered when my consciousness is, is in a different place in, in my locality, in my body, I am emitting, I am a different energy frequency that's going out into the world. And the Institute of Heart Math and the Princeton University, others have started to mm -hmm. measure this and actually ground it in, in, in data. So can you speak to that a little bit, perhaps? Because this is, this is what I certainly get very excited about, it, is the potential when large numbers of people or starting with one yeah. me and, and, and my friends when we do the work and when we consciously evolve ourselves what can we speculate or perhaps look to in the data is happening in a in a non-physical or, or, mm. or, or an energetic communication that's going out into the world is that something you'd be comfortable to speak to yeah, I mean, our presence is constantly speaking. Hmm. I, I love thinking about two people that speak a completely different language and cannot understand each other. And yet you sit with them, just two people facing each other, and there's so much being shared. 
There's so much being said, there's so much being felt, there's so much being understood, and there's so much mystery as well. Um, you can really feel their openness, their closeness, their fear, their um, assertiveness, their curiosity. Um, I'm not sure I could name their stage of consciousness without hearing them speak, but you can certainly start to feel into where they're operating from. Absolutely. Um, and so if we think of it from that perspective, think about a mother um, who has children and a spouse um, and a community around her. If she's an awake being, how her presence without even opening her mouth, how she moves, how she relates, how she touches and sees and feels and um, how that can affect a whole community without even words. You know, we think it's the words. The words are just a manifestation of one's being. Um, you know, that's why I find it incredibly important to help individuals, particularly the most powerful in Silicon Valley when it comes to creating technologies, because the level of consciousness that I'm operating from is what level of development of the, the, the technology that's being exponentially blasted out in the world, especially when it comes to AI. Who's developing AI? A, a level of consciousness emanating from stage three or stage two self-centric, doesn't care about other people, non, not very empathetic, or is it a stage six? It's very inclusive and expansive and empathetic and curious and open. And I mean, it, it makes a huge difference. So one's being is really the, the, what's speaking. It's doing the communicating. The words are just a manifestation. You know, um, uh, uh, Lovinger, researcher from way back in the day, and Suzanne Cook-Greuter, who worked with Lovinger. Suzanne Cook-Greuter is a dear colleague of ours. She's a beautiful scholar on uh, ego development, and she's written a boatload of books. And um, if you're an academic nerd into ego development, I highly recommend her. Um, uh, but be prepared for academic jargon if you read her stuff. But she, um, she came up with a sentence completion test, SCT, or maybe Lovinger did, um, which means that that was their way of measuring stages of consciousness was how you spoke, the words you use, like how dualistic are the words that are coming out of your mouth. It shows perspective. It shows how you see and feel and experience the world, which gave us insight into the level of development consciousness is operating in that individual. Um, so uh, yeah, you can use language as a means, but really, you know, sitting and feeling one's being there are, there are, there are, there's a reason people are drawn to certain people as they say, like, yeah, I was drawn to that person, like bees to honey. It's like, wow, I want to know what their presence, I want to know about their beingness. I want to know what they were emanating and where they were operating as and from, um, because that's what's being drawn. Or if somebody is awake and lit up enough, it can actually, people might run, <laughs> I've had that happen. Colleagues of mine who are non-dual teachers have had that happen where it's just too much. It's like, it's like they, they feel seen through and mm. it's too exposing and too threatening. Um, and they just want to disappear and that's okay too. But so one's beingness. I mean, I've also heard of plenty of uh, people who have had realizations and awakenings that speak about their experience with their teachers 
of going and just sitting with them and just, just feeling the transmission of their presence. Um, Adyashanti was my primary teacher for a decade. Uh, and uh, just going to his retreats and just sitting in his presence was, uh, there was something very powerful for me in that. So I, I do think that presence is extremely powerful and way underestimated, way underestimated. That's why uh, you struck a chord, like my dissertation for my PhD ended up into my book, Space to See Reality. And it's all about how the coach shows up. How does the coach identify themselves and how that impacts the transformational possibilities with the client? So yeah. it's incredibly powerful. The, a, a teacher of mine in the, in, in the coaching space is a, uh, feels appropriate to mention a gentleman called Alan Seal, and he is the director of the Center for Transformational Presence, mm. which in language really captures the yeah. potential and capacity that you're pointing to and, and have written about and, and facilitating on, on scale. Um, it is mysterious and uh, somewhat magical that uh, seemingly, I think certainly from a dualistic perspective, but as we understand the nature of reality and physicality and energy and so on more, not so magical, that an individual can walk into a room and shift the state of consciousness of other people in, in that room. Absolutely. When there's a readiness or a ripeness, like I, I think that's, and, and that's, hard to predict um but it does seem that there are some that are ready and ripe and some that aren't and when you were speaking to the being too much funnily enough bringing the non-duality into their relationships i've had the experience i, I love eye gazing i know mm. you do i know you do as well to really drop in and, and connect presence to presence presence as presence and there's mm -hmm. a just deliciousness of beingness enjoying itself mm -hmm. now i've been on dates when <laughs> you blew them out i start to do that because i just, know freaks them out it's natural and and i've had people say to you <laughs> right 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 why are you looking at me like that yeah <laughs> I'm like, oh no <laughs> this another one, one bites the dust it probably doesn't have the potential to, <laughs> to move forward it's too um, threatening. It's too, the, their system is too um, tight, mm -hmm. you know, and, and your system is so expansive. It's, it, it literally, the, their system can't handle it. So maybe this is the, uh, you know, beyond an overly complex assessment, you just put two people together for that initial 30 second. I mean, I guess this, this, we're back to speed dating, aren't we? Like that little... 30 second taste or five minute taste, which in my experience generally is enough to get a big yes yeah. or a big no. I agree. As to whether I'd want to continue conversation with. I agree. I remember when I, when I was dating, I, I would drop a new gaze with them very intentionally. And I had this curiosity, like, can they sit with me? Hmm. I want to, I want to meet them in the middle. I want to meet them in presence. And can they meet me in presence or does it scare them? Do they, is it too much? Am I too much? Is it too much? 
Mm. Or, you know, for some people it's too much and other people are like, this is amazing and they lean in. Mm. Um, so it's really a beautiful way to weed people out, find people that really are a match. You know, can I just, can I drop in a vast presence with you? And can we relax there together? Can we meet there? Can we connect in this oneness, which oneness sounds fun to connect in oneness. It's like inherently dualistic, but um, what a great way to sink in and really, really connect with another being and feel whether it's a match. It feels like there's a, you use the word emanation or emanating mm. and it feels like this is something of what's happening in relating one-on-one -on -one and in an organization and, and beyond. There's an emanation being offered, uh, a frequency being emitted. Mm. And, and, and that's being, I guess, by the collective uh, vibration or consciousness or the electromagnetic frequency of, of reality that is being received. So our emission, our emanation is whether receivable by the individual or not, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's being broadcast. So this mm -hmm. just feels, yeah, you know, so important for, as we look to create, what are we broadcasting? Yeah. What are we, broadcasting? What, you, we are constantly broadcasting our stage of consciousness constantly, mm. constantly, you know, you look at like a stage four company, for instance, and they're broadcasting stage four. They attract stage four employees. They retain stage four. They hire stage fours because fours value the same thing as other fours. They find a match. It's the cultural match. <laughs> and stage five, the same thing. You know, stage fives have a hard time hiring stage fours and sometimes get threatened by sixes, sometimes love sixes, sometimes don't. But a stage six will have a difficult time working for a stage four, it'll feel tight limiting you know so we are absolutely emanating our stage of awareness all the time whether we know it or not it's happening in just walking down the street it's a great uh, question to wake up with what am i emanating yeah what am i broadcasting i'm broadcasting my beingness my stage of development I'm hearing the bird song in the background and heard that too. feeling like there's a, a, a sweet completion in our conversation. I could dialogue with you for hours and hours. And I know that uh, we each have schedules. It's New Year's Eve over in California. So as we, many of us, I think this will probably be broadcast a couple of weeks into 2020, but maybe there's a question for us all to sit with there. You know, what are we emanating what are we broadcasting? And I love the notion of starting each day with that as a, yeah. Yeah. And what a beautiful way to start the year. Mm. What am I broadcasting this year? And just perfectly, I'm in 2020 here in Australia. <laughs> You're still in 2019. So there's this wonderful bridging integration oneness of time that's, <laughs> that's funny isn't it yeah it is funny that's got to be accelerating human potential which <laughs> bringing people back to your your book and uh, everyone will be able to see your website and details of course on the various notes that we offer so carol look thank you so much for 
joining us today. It's always a pleasure and a delight to be with you. Likewise. Have Likewise. a wonderful last few hours of your uh, last day of 2019. Thank you. Enjoy your first day of 2020. <laughs> so far, so good. So far, <laughs> good. so good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for our listeners and viewers for listening and watching. Um, you can visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community, download or order love letters, register for our newsletter, connect on social media, and even consider financial support at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all our existing supporters and contributors. Together we're creating kind, conscious, courageous human community. 